Welcome to Food Farm Talk on CFRU 93.3 FM in Guelph, Ontario, Canada, and on podcast on all the major platforms. My name is Paul Smith, and I'm one of the hosts of Food Farm Talk. The others are Emily Duncan and Abdul Rahim Abdullahi. Today on Food Farm Talk, we hear from Chief Cadmus DeLorme of Cassis First Nation in Saskatchewan on how they're building modern agricultural businesses on their First Nation. He recounts how they have built their crop and livestock businesses and overcome challenges that many First Nations faced in developing agricultural businesses. We're broadcasting here from the treaty lands of the Mississaugas of the Credit First Nation of the Anishinaabek Nation. Please follow our podcast on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook accounts. Today, Camus DeLorme talks about his First Nations efforts to enter the agriculture business over the last couple of generations and the success they are now achieving. This helps us also reflect on the Truth and Reconciliation Commission Call for Action 92 that urges equitable access to jobs, training, and education opportunities in the corporate sector and that Aboriginal communities gain long-term sustainable benefit from economic development. So back in history, agriculture paid a, played an uh, important role in colonialism and the disposition of Indigenous peoples. Today, it could help build prosperity and reconciliation, as envisaged by that Truth and Reconciliation Call to Action 92. In this episode, we hear from Cadmus DeLorme on the history of the struggle for success in modern agricultural business by his First Nation. This presentation you'll hear is part of a virtual conference that took place in September 2021 on Indigenous agricultural innovation that was held by FHQ Developments, and it's used here with their permission. Both First Nations and the Métis suffered uh, historic exclusion from agriculture and dispossession of their land that could have provided agricultural livelihoods for people and communities. This is well documented in the historic literature. For First Nations, especially in Western Canada, agriculture was promised as the means for future livelihoods, provisions for training, Farm implements and livestock were included in many of the treaties in Western Canada, but later reneged on or subject to graft and corruption. After, uh, as you'll hear uh, Chief DeLorme outline, uh, First Nations were then excluded from agricultural markets to protect European settlers from competition. Indian agents had to approve all sales of agricultural products. Across Canada, First Nations lands selected for reserves back in the 19th century were designed to exclude the most productive farmland, or reserves were moved or portions annexed to exclude good agricultural land. Again, all this is well documented in the historic literature. For the Métis, the government promised that land grants under the Métis script system would provide 
agricultural livelihoods for future generations. But a system of graft and corruption deprived most Métis of the land promised, that 1.4 million acres that was promised in the Manitoba Act. This dispossession led to the Métis creating squatter communities on public land road allowances. And then later, the Prairie Farm Rehabilitation Administration of the federal government evicted the Métis from some road allowance communities to make room for cattle pasture and then burned those communities down to the ground. Then many, many Métis people were uh, relocated to uh, rehabilitation farms purportedly to learn farming and alleviate poverty. These colonies failed. This is our lesser-known history about agriculture in Canada. Today we're in a new era with many changes to agriculture and government policy regarding Indigenous people in agriculture. There are new Indigenous-focused programs at the Department of Agriculture and Agri-Food Canada and in some provincial programming areas. IAPO, or the Indian Agriculture Program of Ontario, has new funding from the federal government and is now providing new services to support First Nations agriculture business development and other aspects in Ontario. The Anishinaabek Nation Group of 39 First Nations is developing a strategic plan and programs for agriculture and received provincial funding for that effort. And back in 2021, Farm Management Canada uh, released a report called The Path Forward, supporting the business management needs for Indigenous producers that looked at the business management needs for Indigenous agricultural producers. So change is happening. So let's hear now the case study uh, from Cannabis Delorme about the development of modern crop and livestock businesses on Kyle's First Nation in Saskatchewan. So my presentation moving forward now is I'm going to explain to you some of the situations. It's going to take other conversations to get to the how do we implement. And I'll throw in a little bit here and there in the rest of the presentation. In 2017, Cows' First Nation, we were ready to farm. At that time, we had no farmers. We had one member, one citizen who had a little bit of cattle who broke a little bit of his land, but he didn't have all the machines, but he, he did what he could. We had one person and, you know, he was closest to a farmer of what we had. Everybody else, what you called buckshed or, or just did handshake deals and got cash and they um, non-Indigenous people farmed the land. So the first thing Cowses had to do, and it was a tough one, is we made sure all of our land had valid permits and there was no more handshakes. And so all of our prime land started to have valid permits, you know, under the Indian Act, which is colonial, but it's, it was a start. That's not our end goal. And we started understanding and we started getting fair market value for the land rental that cows is overseas. See, our land is not private. That, that is a treaty. Our land is collective for our children and children yet unborn. So now today, Cows gets fair market value 
for our land from non-Indigenous farmers. 50 to $60 rent per acre per year. Before that, they were handshake deals and some of these individuals were getting as low as $10 to $15 an acre to as high as $35 an acre. Today, it's fair market value. So that has increased our revenue. That has made sure that people treat us, you know, with respect. And so a year after that, we partnered and we got a, our first grant with uh, um, in, Indigenous Food Egg Initiative under the Government of Canada. We got a $30,000 grant to do a business plan. Uh, Ken Bear from Ochapawais, an agrologist, helped us. Jessica Nixon, she was Economic Development Director, still, still is for Cowses today. And Ian and a few others from Myers Norris Penny did a business plan for us on how to enter the agriculture industry. And so from this business plan, we started to see how action could happen. We understood that machines, you needed 4,500 acres per machine if you needed a fleet of machines. So every time you doubled, you needed two machines. This business plan explained that to us. Where to get your seed, how much seed you need. You know, what, what, is, what, is, what do we need for fertilizer and stuff like this? You know, we got to understand that, you know, we're talking three generations separated from great farmers. So it's all relearning for us. And so after the business plan helped us with, with production, with seeding, with uh, our cash flow, our, our budget, our, our leasing terms, our equipment list, Cows' First Nation in 2019 had a soft start. We tried 500 acres. And we bought an old combine. It kept breaking down. And chief and council um, managed poverty. So buying $700,000 combine was not a priority. So we had a very soft start. And uh, we had a couple hiccups. And we started. And so uh, today, in 2021, we're now farming 4,500 acres. And so you know, I went to Viterra. A week ago, um, Jessica Nixon um, said, Chief, go and uh, pick up our barley check. I went and picked up a $90,000 check. And uh, it was a great honor. It was knowing that that progress is made. We have um, sup we had supper in the field the other night with our farmers just to show them our appreciation. And uh, our bins are all filled. Uh, we have now finished our barley, or our canola, and our wheat. And so, it has been a trying time. Some of the things that I need to explain to you is the growing pains of Indigenous people joining agriculture today. The biggest growing pain is succession planning. Right now, we have Terry LaRaw, who is a baby boomer, who is beyond retirement age. We have Alan Friesen, who we call Big Al. And these two are um, almost elderly. And so we rely heavily on them to keep our farm going. These two, if they were to exit, do we have the next generation ready to go? We have had trial and error for two years now with Generation X, Generation Y, uh, not millennial yet. And, you know, it's not an eight to five job. It's uh, very timely and committed, 
and we are having some challenges with succession planning. Secondly, we welcomed in non-Indigenous people to help us. Absolutely needed. Our agrologist, our, our farm lead, um, Reed Pillar, is doing a phenomenal job. He makes our decisions for us. He, he makes sure Terry, Bigal, and Jessica are part of the decision-making. Chief and council, we play the role as the board, and we incorporated our business. We incorporated it just for protection, for insurance, and to make sure that the liabilities are all covered. And so under the Saskatchewan um, Corporation Act, you know, we have to make sure we follow those. So as Indigenous people, we have to make sure that, you know, we're doing it from our treaty base, but we're also doing it from a business-minded set. And so we're, we're moving forward. Our, our biggest challenge is the money we make is going to be an investment for more machinery. Sometimes when First Nations do business, you know, you have a successful farm year, you have people saying, well, where's the money? Show us the money. Let's, let's, let's cash some checks. Well, actually, every dollar we make is going to be reinvested. And that's something council has committed for the next 10 years. And so those are strong commitments. And, you know, the leadership support, the citizen understanding, Cowses is destined to, to be a, a farm success story. But it ain't going to be easy. You know, and I'm not here to present to you that specifics. I'm just letting you know that there's one First Nation in this province in Treaty 4 that is trying. And there's others. I know Pasqua has a great plan. Thunderchild has been farmers. Ochapways has a plan. So they're out there. I got to talk to you about the technical side of the business. And I'm talking the legislation part. One of the biggest challenges we face today as First Nations entering the agriculture is the value of land from the Bank Act of Canada. The Indian Act, Section 88, devalues land from a business perspective to the point when you do your, your, your business, your assets don't include land. Because land, from a colonial perspective, from the government of Canada, from the Crown, states that this land is the Queen's land set aside for her Indian. From a First Nation Cows' perspective, this is our primary land. Treaty 4 territory is our territorial land. And so we do have some miscommunication, misunderstanding. But from a business perspective, trying to increase your assets, trying to have equity, trying to go to banks and investments to try and borrow and leverage, you cannot use reserve lands because they, to the, from the Bank Act of Canada, the Indian Act trumps the Bank Act of Canada making reserve land from a business mind almost valued at zero dollars. So chief and councils, in order to get loans, in order to, to, to get more equity, have to do co-signing to make sure that if something was to go wrong in the loan, that the band would be there to pay the debt, which in business is, is realistic. When Cows' First Nation first entered this four years ago, FCC, Farm Credit Canada, today FCC and Cows' are, are really good together. But at the beginning, FCC couldn't figure out Section 82, or 88, sorry. They couldn't figure out 88. They're like, 
So how do we do this? So it took us some trial and errors. And now today, the Farm Credit Canada, amazing. Uh, the First Nations Bank of Canada. There's many institutions out there that uh, were ready to invest. The First Nations Bank of Canada understood. They, they understood how to approach it, how to utilize equity, and the role chief and councils play. You know, other banks, they try, but they just seem to not understand from a legal perspective. And we're not going to be putting in an extra 60 grand for our lawyer to teach the bank lawyer how this works. Thirdly, there are grants and, and equity investment from Saskatchewan Indian Equity Foundation. They've been a great friend. The biggest one, though, for cows is in the last two years has been the in Indigenous Egg Food Initiative. Cows has recently got $920,000 uh, from this. Why this is important, it's about equality. Some of these great farmers that are non-Indigenous, they're not a high risk because they got enough assets and equity and history that if they have a drought year, they have enough insurance from crop insurance to um, there's government grants. But because we're on reserve land, sometimes we don't get those. And so this $920,000 grant actually makes us a medium risk now to fill our drought years. And so it makes us at a more fair process. And I say this with not blaming, with not trying to make uh, government uh, officials you know, feel guilty or cornered. But I say this, that we must challenge each other today. We all must reset our compass a little bit to go back into our policies, to go into our frameworks, and to see how we can include Indigenous First Nations, Indigenous individuals to utilize their land at a number 92 of TRC, economic perspective, and be able to farm as someone off the reserve. This is 2021. If someone off the reserve on fee simple land can go to the bank, you know, start farming, and I'm making it sound simple. It's not this simple, but I'm just trying to break it down into simple terms and have a dream to be a farmer. That's realistic in Canada. But to live on the reserve, and be administered under a colonial Indian act and to utilize prime land, it's challenging. Cowses always has to budget an extra $80,000 for lawyer fees just to make sure that we teach government of Canada institutions that lend us money about the Indian act. The Indian act makes lawyers rich. No offense to lawyers, but it makes lawyers rich. And so that is the challenge of entering. I want to end off the presentation with the byproducts and opportunities we have moving forward. This is a great conference, and I look forward to the next presentations because the end goal must be that Indigenous people must be a part of this growth in this province from the actual hands on utilizing land, the best land in southern Saskatchewan is on reserves as well. 
But when you look at an actual research of how much Indigenous people make on their lands, it's minimal. It's the non-Indigenous that are coming on and, you know, cross cash cropping some of the land. Some are good. I'm not discrediting some of these farmers that come on reserves, but some, they know that this is probably their last crop, so they'll crash, they'll cash crop it. They'll overseed it. They'll overchemicalize it for a really good crop. Who has that land the next 20, 50 years? The Indigenous people. And so we got to make sure that we have a long-term um, plan for, for what this world needs in, in utilizing this land. So better approach to policy, better approach to investment. Long-term. And when children wake up and watch their parents get ready for work in the morning in their house or in the afternoon, you can change so much in a generation. There are adults that are willing and able to work on these lands. But we must all have a little bit of patience, a little bit of investment to reteach. Secondly, agriculture must be a part of other areas within the community, in the labor force training, in the school, you know, agriculture, the connection to land, the food sovereignty. It's not just economics, it's food sovereignty. The way machines are financed and the way we leverage, we must reapproach the way Section 88 doesn't work. And we must find other ways to not put so much pressure on chief and council. We got to give chief and councils a little bit of space because managing poverty isn't easy, mental, emotional, physical. And, you know, this chief and council for causes understands the risk we're taking in farming. Well, we also see the opportunity. And so that's why, you know, I'd like to share every nation should and can be doing this. The second part is the byproducts, you know, the gasoline or diesel sale. You know, First Nations have gas stations. You know, there's partnerships. How do we make sure that farmers farming our land buy our gas? How do we make sure that we can join the byproduct? Cows' First Nation and Ochapway's First Nation, led by Ken Bear, an agrologist, a First Nation agrologist, did a byproduct plant. Mars Norris Penny did it for us. And so in there, it talks about these byproducts that we can get into all the different businesses, from selling gasoline to selling seed to selling chemicals to selling machinery. And, you know, that is a long-term plan for cows. You know, coming to a close on this presentation, farming is a treaty obligation. Cows' First Nation, we are just exercising not only what our ancestors were set up to fail on from the government, but to show ourselves that farming is a part of our current and our future. The solution moving forward is, is we must understand the truth, not to corner, not to feel bad, but to understand and be patient that Indigenous people need a lot of your help that are listening, a lot of help from successful people. And we need to understand how 
agrologists and more indigenous agrologists will help in utilizing our land. You know, our land is for our children and children yet unborn. And our economies in our communities can be thriving with agriculture. Right now on cows is before agriculture, we relied on our golf course, our gas station, a little bit of renewable energy. Now we diversified into agriculture. And so that makes us more self-sustaining. It reduces the uh, poverty line and it increases our success. Our success will lead to, you know, less children in care, less incarceration. And I'm not saying Indigenous people are overwhelmed in these areas. That's just the reality of what intergenerational trauma has done to us. I conclude with the following. Cows' First Nations presentation is about one First Nation in this province. Other chiefs, other councils, other economic development entities of First Nations have and will continue to have their success stories. This is a story of how a First Nation was promised investment in 1874, was tricked, was lied to, was given barriers, and ultimately led to no farming on houses by the 90s and 2000s. It then took the leadership of council and committed members like Terry LaRaw, like Big Al, like uh, the late Rooks Barbier with a vision, Councillor Gary Sparvier's vision, uh, leads like Jessica Nixon. And today now, One First Nation is moving forward. Our end goal is to farm 20,000 acres of land. We then need to understand how to store it. Maybe Viterra, maybe we will partner with other First Nations and create our own pool. We then have to understand how are we going to get our product to the coastline? Are we going to partner? Are we going to just rely on status quo? And bigger, how do we work with Canada's plan to sell our product? Or do we use our inherent right of the United Nations Declaration on the Rights of Indigenous People, Section 15? and make our own agreements with countries internationally. There is so much opportunity. And so together, when we understand truth, we then focus on reconciliation. And number 92 is that. And so I thank you very much for spend, letting me spend some time with you. I did not even get to talk about the cattle part but we'll keep that for a future conversation. If anybody who has heard this and wants to reach out, please reach out. There's no ego in what we do. We have made our hiccups. We are making our successes big, and we look forward to being one of the best-run agriculture corporations. And the bonus is, is that we are implementing our treaty obligation and that we're First Nations-owned. On behalf of Cowsis and all the ones that have helped us get this to this point, I thank you for letting me share.
I look forward to the conference and hopefully this has shed light on the truth so that when we talk about future things that you can go back to say, well, I've heard from One First Nation, this is a challenge, but there's also an opportunity. The Naskaman, thank you very much. Thanks for tuning in to Food Farm Talk on CFRU 93.3 FM in Guelph and on podcast. You can check out the links in our show notes and on our social media feeds for more information. The history of agriculture and Indigenous people in Canada provides an example of the high level of detail in colonial policy that was used to suppress Indigenous peoples and prevent their success in agriculture. This is well documented in the historic literature, but very little known to the public. But First Nations are acting to use agriculture to benefit their communities. Cadmus Delorme laid out in our show here how they are developing new business opportunities for future prosperity on Casas' First Nation. Improving public understanding of Canada's true history is in keeping with many of the calls to action in the Truth and Reconciliation Commission reports, and that is a duty of media outlets like CFRU. We thank Thomas Benjo and FHQ Developments in Saskatchewan for their permission to use this recording. Please tune in again for another episode of Food Farm Talk. Mm-hmm.